right, how's everybody doing? Our theme for this year is love your neighbor. And we've been looking at the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 35. It said, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We're halfway through February and still haven't really jumped into the topic of loving our neighbor. And the reason is there are some prerequisites to loving our neighbor in a biblical way. Love your neighbor is the second greatest commandment. Jesus said, loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind is the first and greatest. And so we said we can't truly, effectively, and biblically... Oh, mic's not working. Check one, two. How's that? Are you okay? One, two, one, two. Okay, where were we? God's about to do something in the place. He's going to do something big. The music wasn't great, but the worship has been fantastic. We missed some cues. We got off the click. We got off the whole thing. Adrian's yelling in my ears, what'd you do that to me for? And we're up here like trying to balance all of the things. You know what I want to be when we're leading worship as a bridge for people to go from where they are to God's presence. And I don't really care how they get there because it's not about us. And I just want God's presence to be in the room. And I'm reminded, I've been praying this prayer a lot, but reminded of the prayer of the apostles after they were arrested in the book of Acts. And they began to pray. And Peter said, God, would you stretch out your hand to do the miraculous? Would you stretch out your hand to do signs and wonders and miracles? And that's my prayer today, that God would stretch out his hand, that the spirit of God would begin to do miracles in people's hearts. The distraction would be bound, even if it's only me that's distracted. Love your neighbor is the second greatest commandment. Jesus said, loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind is the first and greatest. And so we said we can't truly, effectively, or biblically love our neighbor until we first love God. And then we talked about how many of us say that we love God, but often our actions say otherwise. And the reason many of us don't love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind is because we haven't fully received God's love for us. Sure, we may be saved. Our sins may be forgiven. We may be on our way to heaven. But something is often missing in our lives. Something often blocks us from fully receiving God's love. And when something hinders us from receiving God's love, then our love for God will also be hindered. We spent a lot of time talking about that. 1 John chapter 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. So we spent the last couple of weeks talking about some of the hindrances from receiving God's love. And at the top of the list is the spirit of rejection. And honestly, the topic of rejection probably needs its own series or small group. Because when we began briefly talking about it, it struck a chord with many of you. I can't tell you how many people have reached out to us to say rejection has or is currently an issue in my life. And the truth of the matter is we all deal with it on some level. 
But as we begin to pivot this series to loving our neighbor, there's one more prerequisite, if you will, that we need to address. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 39, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor how? Love your neighbor how? As yourself. I think the same form of reasoning that we use when we ask the question, do I really love God, also can be applied here. If I say, yes, I love myself, what evidence is there of that in my life? There's some in the room right now, you already know. Yeah, I don't love myself. You don't have to be introspective. You don't have to put on any kind of soaking music. You don't have to do, you already know. But your, your internal script, I hate the way I look. I hate the way I feel. I hate my job. I'm not happy with my family. I'm not happy with my spouse. I'm not happy with my house or living situation. I hate my car. I hate that I'm so awkward. I hate that I'm so fill in the blank. Remember last week we said that Satan often speaks in first person. And when we have a thought that begins with I and it ends with something negative, especially when it's about yourself, you should immediately recognize the enemy's voice at work. And so what happens is, is we turn those hates and dislikes about ourselves into a negative or ungodly belief by repeating them to ourselves in first person. So instead of addressing situations, we embrace the negativity personally. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too skinny. I'm too fat. I'm, I'm so ugly. I'm such a loser. I'm not a good friend. I'm a terrible husband. I'm a terrible wife. I'm a bad mother. I'm a bad father. I'm a failure. I'm the one person in the room that nobody likes. And so what's the problem with embracing this negativity personally? Listen, the perspective in which we view negative things is of the utmost importance. For example, if I don't like my fitness level, I can change it. I can begin to modify the way that I eat and the way that I drink. I can make changes to my activity level. I can begin to walk more or run more or exercise more. A healthy dissatisfaction for negative circumstances often prompts me to make positive change. But embracing my negative circumstances as my identity will always limit my potential. See, if I don't like my fitness level, I can change it. If I don't like myself, then there's no need to change anything because if it's who I am, then it can't be changed. No. I'm out of shape. That's who I am. I'm ugly. That's just who I am. I'm unlikable. That's just who I am. I'm a bad parent. That's just who I am. Dislike of my current situation is different than a dislike of myself. And when we begin to embrace negativity as our identity, we lock ourselves into what's called the belief expectation cycle. Now, if you've been around for a little while, this content or concept won't be new to you. We began talking about the quote-unquote belief expectation cycle all the way back in 2020. But for a lot of you in the room, this will be new language. Here's how the belief expectation cycle works. You guys can put that up. Beliefs are formed out of experiences. These beliefs lead us to the expectations that similar things will happen to us. These expectations of life shape our behavior and affect the behavior of other people. These behaviors lead to repeated experiences that continue to reinforce our beliefs. So if the experiences are negative, they lead to what we call ungodly beliefs or unrealistic expectations of life and 
unrealistic expectations of our behavior. When the ungodly beliefs are replayed, or I'm sorry, when they are replaced with godly beliefs, then the same process leads to godly expectations of life. It leads to a godly behavior. And then the cycle becomes a cycle of life. So let's look at a realistic example of how the belief expectation cycle works. High school relationship, your first love. He, she breaks up with you for no apparent reason in your mind. The wound is so deep that you begin to ask questions like, what's wrong with me? And now you're a little bit guarded going into the next relationship. Your subtle belief that, quote unquote, something is wrong with you develops into an expectation that you will probably be broken up with or dumped again. This will affect your behavior. This time, you're guarded. You don't want to get hurt like that again, and so you put up walls. You won't let your walls down all the way. You expect her or him to break up with you. Because they can't seem to break through your walls, the walls of your heart, eventually the person does break up with you. Thus reinforcing, there's something wrong with me. Which ultimately leads to, and often leads to, an ungodly belief of something like this, I'm unlovable. And when we embrace lies like this, it often affects us forever. It develops into, again, what we call ungodly beliefs. And we carry these ungodly beliefs into all of our future relationships. Into our marriages, into our relationship with our kids, into our jobs, into our churches, and ultimately into our relationship with God to where we begin to believe that we're so unlovable that not even God himself could love us. Experience, belief, expectation, behavior, cycle. It just repeats. Belief, expectation, cycle. Listen to these words from counselor and author Mark De Jesus. Quote, these toxic thoughts reveal very clearly that we are at war. There is an enemy giving us thoughts that feel like they are our own. Daily and hourly, we are being bombarded with thoughts that can negatively affect our peace, health, and sanity. It may feel like it's you, but it is not you. The thoughts may feel like they are your own, but they are the result of the enemy speaking to you. This is the enemy's attack. To perpetuate thoughts that keep you from loving yourself and others freely. Satan's job is often pretty simple. To give us thoughts that prevent the love of God from flowing through us and to us. And then these thoughts become foundational belief systems that influence our entire life in a negative way. And maybe you're sitting here and saying, look, I didn't come here for a psychology class. <laughs> look, I get it, but this is very spiritual. Remember, we are three-part beings, spirit, soul, and body. We absolutely must deal with the spiritual side of things. But God's word isn't only for your spirit. And church shouldn't only be for your spirit either. We have to begin to love ourselves. We have to begin to care for our mental and emotional state of being. Yeah. It's time for us to begin to think about what we're thinking about. We must give thought to the thoughts that we're having. In his book, Ordering Your Private World, Gordon McDonald says this, the person who does not know how to think will be relentlessly shaped and influenced by the dominant culture around him or her. Pastor and author Pete Scazzaro says, it's impossible to separate our emotional health from our spiritual health. 
So as a result of never dealing with our emotions and our thought life, instead of maturing in our faith, we remain little children. Some of us have been professing Christ followers for 20, 30, or 40 years. But instead of being 20, 30, or 40 years old in the faith, we remain a one-year-old 20, 30, or 40 times. Listen, I'm tired of watching generations of people repeat the sins and failures of their ancestors. I'm an alcoholic. That's what happens in my family. I'm an adulterer. That's what happens in my family. It's just who I am. I'm a drug addict. I'm a failure. I'm a pervert. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm a worrier. It's just what we do. I'm angry. My family just has a bad temper. You know the best way to get somebody to believe a lie? Research increasingly shows the best way to get somebody to believe a lie is simply to repeat it. It's called, quote, a glitch in the human psyche, unquote. Psychologists call it the illusory effect or the illusionary truth effect. The illusionary truth effect refers to the phenomenon where people are more likely to believe information to be true after it's been repeated or after repeated exposure to it, regardless of its validity. I wanted to say something about Fox and CNN, but. <laughs> this is why our spiritual enemy has been whispering the same lies to us repeatedly our entire lives. Because he knows the more we think a negative thought, the more likely we are to believe it. The more we believe it, the more we will say it. And the more we say it, the more it will produce that in our lives. We listen to and we repeat the lies of the enemy so much so that they become truth in our lives. Pastor Craig Rochelle says it this way. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. See, many of us are living our lives based on a lie, feeling like it's true, but it's not true at all. We're listening to the lies of the enemy. He's saying, you're a son, you're a daughter. If we begin to receive healing from these ungodly beliefs, it will be revolutionary to our walk with God. And we'll be able to stop the negative belief expectation cycle. I'm going back to what a second, I said a second ago. Instead of a cycle of negativity and death, the same cycle can become a cycle of healing and life. In other words, my belief is placed in God's word. My expectation is that God's word will come through. My behavior then lines up with what God's word says. And eventually, even if it takes a little while, my experience will prove that God's word will not fail. We can turn the belief expectation cycle into something that produces life instead of death. But it's going to take more than, quote, breaking the power of the enemy off of our spirit. It will take warfare in our minds. The great apostle Paul called it pulling down strongholds. The lies that we believe and build our lives upon become strongholds in our life. And that's why it often takes more than a single trip to the altar to find lasting freedom. For far too long, Christianity has focused on behavior and modification. But Jesus didn't come to change our behavior. He came to give us life transformation. Yes. And when we're transformed from the inside out, our behavior will change. Yes. So Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. But the reality is most of us don't love ourselves in a healthy or godly way. Again, we briefly talked about rejection the past couple of weeks, mostly from their perspective of how the spirit of rejection keeps us from fully receiving God's love. 
But rejection also keeps us from being able to love ourselves. One of the lies that rejection whispers is that we're not worthy of love. And when we believe the lie that we're not worthy of love, it leads to all kinds of self-destructive behaviors. Because we were created for love. When true godly love is missing from our lives, we will fill that void with counterfeit self-love. This is often what leads to destructive patterns in our lives. Pornography addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, food addiction, technology addiction, sexual addiction, relationship addiction, work addiction, gaming addiction, exercise addiction. Listen, I realize that addiction is complex and it's not, not all addiction is linked to a lack of self-love. But what I'm saying is this. When the love of the Father is absent in our lives, we turn to destructive things to fill that void. So what does it mean to love yourself? Let's first define what it's not. First, self-love is not self-centered. Focusing solely on ourselves with little regard for others has nothing to do with self-love. That attitude would be closer to self-idolatry. Secondly, self-love is not self-indulgent. Binge-watching every episode of Stranger Things while eating a tub or two of ice cream is not self-love. <laughs> Buying whatever I want, even if it means going into deep debt, isn't self-love. Right. It might be self-medicating, but it's not self-love. Right. Self-love is not self-exaltation. It's not about exalting myself or elevating myself so that I'm more noticed. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves to make us feel affirmed. The Bible says that promotion comes from the Lord. Amen. Don't, out of insecurity, try to position yourself to be seen and heard. Let the Lord position you. Yes. Finally, self-love is not self-pity. Our culture is full of people living as victims. And people confuse self-pity for self-love. Convinced that no one loves them, they seek to comfort themselves by bringing attention to their pain. Now maybe you're wondering why any of this even matters. On some levels, it often seems easier to love others than to love ourselves. Think of it in terms of the airplane safety talk. If you've ever flown, you've heard it. They tell you in the event of a loss of cabin pressure or loss of oxygen to secure your own oxygen mask before you help others. Why? Because if you run out of oxygen, you certainly can't help anybody else. Our children and our grandchildren are depending on us to get this thing right. Are you content with passing down the same familial patterns that were passed down to you? Somewhere down the line, somebody has to be willing to say enough is enough! Who will be the one to tear down the familial stronghold? Who will be the one to pass on a godly heritage that was that was that's been fully received from God to your descendants? Who will be the one who has a healthy understanding of loving themselves so that they can then love their neighbor? Who will be the one that says, I'm not going to be a one-year-old in the faith 20 or 30 times. It's time to grow up and become who God's called us to be. One of my life verses is this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you understand what that means? 
we were made by God with intentionality. Yeah, we sure. were made by God with purpose. We are his masterpiece. Amen. There has never been and never will be another you. God has work for you to do that only you can do that he prepared before time began. It's time to break the negative belief expectation cycles off of our lives. Don't drop your guard. Take captive every lie the enemy whispers in your ear. You are not controlled by fear. You are not stuck. You are not a prisoner to your addictions. You are not a victim. You are not failing. You are not unlikable. You are not unworthy of love. You are not your past. You are not what you did. You are not what someone else did to you. You are not who others say that you are. You are not who your unhealthy thoughts say that you are. You are not done. You are who God says you are. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are healed. You are new. You are redeemed. You are free. You are blessed. You are strong and mighty. You are chosen. You are empowered. You are a weapon of righteousness in the world of darkness. This is part of our nightly confession with our boys. You're brave. You're not afraid. God is on your side. Jesus is with you. He keeps you safe. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. No weapon formed against you will prosper. By his stripes you are healed. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. we declare that over our boys sometimes they say it with us most of the time they just say I don't want to <laughs> but they're going to grow up every night and they're going to hear me say it and their father is going to speak over them you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for yes. you to do Amen. enough is enough we're not broke, busted and disgusted we're sons and daughters of the most high God did you hear that? God is our Father. He's not some ancient, distracted, disconnected old man with a white beard. The creator of the universe is our Father. We're heirs to the kingdom. If that doesn't put a smile on your face and make you puff out your chest a little bit, I don't know what will. It's time to receive the love of the Father. So that we can give the love of the Father to our neighbors. Yes. Well, I want to certainly yell a lot more than I was planning to today. Amen. you close your eyes all across the place before we go any farther in this service if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior you've not been adopted into the family he's extending his love to you
If you'd like to become a part of the family today and you never have made that decision, would you lift your hand in this room so that I can see that? I'd be honored to pray with you. Maybe you're in the room today and you're far from God. You were chosen. You know you've been chosen. You've been adopted into the family. But just like the story of it's often called the prodigal son. You've walked away from your relationship with the Lord. And the word of the Lord to you today is to come home. Yes. If you're in the room today and you've walked away from him and you want to come back to the family today, would you lift your hand? Again, I'd be honored to pray with you. Maybe you're in the room today and you struggle with your identity. You're one of those people. You're not sure you're lovable. You feel unworthy of love, whether it's from God or from your family or from your friends. Maybe you're daily facing and battling the spirit of rejection. You reject people before they have an opportunity to reject you. You feel not good enough, not pretty enough, not skinny enough, not tall enough, not whatever enough. You feel all of the things. Not qualified enough. Not enough money, not enough whatever, not enough fill in the blank. And you're battling with that on a regular basis. Would you lift your hand up? Amen. Gosh, this hands all over the place. So I'm going to go back. Especially if you lifted, lifted your hand over the last, for that last thing. I want to read this over your life. And I want you to receive this as a word from the Lord. Take captive every lie the enemy whispers in your ear. You are not controlled by fear. You are not stuck. You are not a prisoner to your addictions. You are not a victim. You are not failing. You are not unlikable. You are not unworthy of love. You are not your past. You are not what you did. You are not what someone else did to you. You are not what others say you are. You are not who your unhealthy thoughts say you are. You are not done. You are who God says you are. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are healed, you are new, you are redeemed, you are free, you are blessed, you are strong and mighty, you are chosen, you are empowered, you are a weapon of righteousness in the world of darkness. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Would you stand on your feet all across this place? Would you close your eyes and lift your hands to the Father one more time? God, thank you for your spirit that's moving and touching people's lives. God, I pray that we would take captive the lies of the enemy that are whispering to our minds daily, 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 telling us that we're not enough. 
God, that we would embrace the identity of adopted sons and daughters. We've been chosen by the Father to be a part of the family of God. specifically for people in the room have been who have been through a divorce. I'm thinking about the story of the lady who comes to the well to get water. And Jesus looks at this woman and says, where's your husband? She says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, no, no, you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the person you're living with now is not your husband. That encounter with Jesus led her to salvation, and she became the town evangelist, so to speak. We kind of read into that. And she ran and told everybody, come and meet this man that told me everything about myself. I'm sure that the, the interaction is abbreviated in the Gospels. What we read probably is just a snippet of what really happened in that moment. I just felt prompted to tell somebody who's been on the on that side of divorce. That God doesn't want you to carry that shame. He wants you to release that to Him. And He wants to receive you as a son or daughter. And I feel uniquely unqualified to talk about divorce in any fashion because many of you that know me know I've gone through one years and years ago. And maybe maybe it's for me. Maybe the Lord's talking to me and not you. So if it's not for you, I'll receive it. I don't know. There are times I stand up here and I think, who am I to tell anybody anything after all the things I've done and all the things that have happened in my own life? So if you're one of those people that carry shame from your past, specifically in regards to relationships and divorce, the Lord, the Lord wants, you to, call, wants to call you out of that shame. I'm not going to hang out here too much longer. I'm going to try to force something to happen. I, 
matter, I just sense God's in the room. If you gotta go, God bless you. Peace out, Girl Scouts. We'll see you next time we get together. But if you're willing to hang out just for a minute, we're just gonna stay here. This house here. And maybe God will speak to us in another way. Maybe he'll say nothing else. Maybe he'll minister to you right at your seat. I don't know, but I don't want to leave this moment. I don't want to rush out of here. I just want to hang out here for a second. You need to sit down, sit down. And I just feel like God wants to release people from shame today. If you're carrying shame, man, you don't have to. You don't have to leave with that. But our prayer team, would you guys come forward and just prepare to, to minister to some folks? Maybe you want to find a place to pray on your own. Maybe you don't want somebody to pray with you. You know, maybe that's something you don't want to share with anybody else. You know, I mean, when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain tore. That gives us direct access to the Father. You don't have to come through me or through anybody else. The only reason we pray for people is because the Bible instructs us to pray for them. But you don't have to do it that way to get to Jesus. Because when he died, the, the, the separation between him and us was torn. God, thank you. I swear, Lord, that you will release people from shame. God, I know that you can do something significant in this moment. But God, I pray that you'll give us the courage to walk that out as we leave, as we leave these doors. God, we go back to our regular lives, and we get in our cars, and we go back to our families, and we go back to our jobs, and we go back to the mundane, and we go back to the regularity of things, God, that you'll give us strength. Strength, God, to walk out what you're doing in our midst right now. I pray that shame would be broken. Thank you, Lord, that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. The grace of God is here. Grace happens here. It's not a license to keep doing whatever you're doing. Grace empowers you to reject and to run away and to repent from sin. Receive the grace of God, but repent from your sin and run to Jesus. Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. 
For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.